The Football Show on Off The Ball With Sky Watch Premier League, Women's Super League, EFL, Scottish Premiership and much more Live on Sky Sports I'm prepared to end it if I can well, do, it then. do it then What about your start to the game? I was, it wasn't bad, was it? <laughs> Why should there be an honest answer be a mistake? How can a modern day manager not have a mobile phone? Hey everybody, welcome back to oh. Off The Ball Saturday here on Newstalk Shane Hannah with you through until 7 o'clock Just a 6 hour show, show today Extended of course for the Six Nations later on 4.45 Ireland against Scotland in the Aviva Stadium of course if Ireland win it's a first triple crown uh, first trophy on home soil since 2004 um, and of course then we're hoping for England to do us a favour a little bit later on by beating the French which would secure a Six Nations Championship for Ireland but uh, Brent Pope will be in studio with myself um, for the duration from 4-7 to seven. Fiona Hayes as well is on the line from the Aviva Stadium Ashley O'Reilly is there for us as well uh, if you missed the Saturday panel just before the ads you had uh, some Formula 1 chat of course qualifying in Bahrain today for the Grand Prix getting underway in round an hour so 3 o'clock p.m. Irish time uh, for that one uh, in Bahrain plenty of stories we got into there with Chris Medland uh, and with Rebecca Clancy as well so you get the podcast on the OTB Sports app or wherever you get your usual podcast some uh, Formula 1 news as well that's <clears throat> come in this, uh, this afternoon uh, the report the Abu Dhabi Grand Prix report uh, only finally coming in now uh, from December's race the key takeaways report found that the uh, race director Michael Massey was acting in good faith and to the best of his knowledge this of course was the incident that saw Max Verstappen take the title ahead of Lewis Hamilton uh, but he admits human error led to the fact that not all cars were allowed to unlap themselves but then as the result of this race and title are valid, final and cannot now be changed so just took them until the final hour really before the, the new season kicked off uh, for them to confirm that but um, loads still to come across, uh, of course across the show uh, but it is time for OTB Football Saturday and time to say a very good hello to the, the two lads in studio the broadcaster and journalist Johnny Ward and of course uh, the Irish Independence Dan McDonnell lads afternoon afternoon Shane How are we keep it we have the uh, former Irish international striker David Connolly on the line as well good afternoon David good afternoon Shane Johnny Dan how you doing Keep it, keep it, keep it. I, I, I never know. You know, some players you, you introduce them by a certain club. Like Kevin Gaban was kind of probably associated with Everton. Maybe you've had a lot of clubs, but like, do you have any of those clubs that you associate yourself with more, or still follow quite closely? <laughs> or are you, are you actually it, trying to be nice to him here? Or are you trying to say yeah, you've had a lot of clubs yeah. in fairness? No, no, it's, yeah. a it's a good thing. A lot of people wanted him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, more, more clubs than Jack Nicholas. But I, I guess it, it allows me to um, uh, kind of uh, work because normally if you if you're doing a bit of punditry you know you get associated with one club or another club but because I've had about 20 it keeps me in work you know yeah it's like when Sky <laughs> have that you know this like a supposedly unique perspective of bringing on a player who played for both clubs about 27 yes. years ago and it's like yeah, yeah what does yeah. he have to offer David you can yeah. be there all season exactly yeah yeah so uh, I'm kept busy enough anyway absolutely I uh, should mention our fo- football Saturday brought to you by Sky get more of the sports you love on Sports Extra with BT Sport and Premier Sports we have got uh, Aston Villa nil Arsenal 1 in front of us here 75 minutes on the clock uh, at Villa Park Bakayo Saka with the goal for Arsenal in the first half uh, for this one and really heavy favourites now you'd have to say for that uh, top four place the, this will put them I think four points clear of Manchester United and of course that uh, extra game in hand as well so Arsenal in the driving seat <clears throat> what a game last night as well at Molyneux I mean Wolves 2 Leeds 3 I don't know David did you, did you get a chance to see any of this game it was a bit of a, a mad game of football a, an old cliched game of two halves yeah absolutely and um Obviously, two 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 weeks in a row now for Leeds, two games in a row, which is massive for them. But I've got to say, the defending from Wolves was was shocking. Romain Sice had a nightmare for both of the goals, the two, the first two, and um, they kind of had it in their own hands, Wolves, and and sort of threw it away. I don't know what the lads think about the the second yellow for Raúl Jiménez, but. Mm. 
I, I'm not so sure that that was a yellow, you know, to be honest. And that really, that really killed Wolves. It was one of those that kind of almost seemed like him and I was in the keeper collided simultaneously a little bit harsh maybe on, on Raul Jimenez like it's it's one of those where the, the, sometimes the goalkeeper gets the benefit of the doubt for fouls quite often and uh, look Millier was injured after the foul but um, certainly changed the course of the game it has to be said David yeah yeah I mean up to then I think Wolves had looked uh, pretty comfortable look they might have come back into it anyway Leeds and they showed great character and they did score some good goals but like I say I mean Romain Sice was at fault for a few um and they kind of contributed even with ten men to sort of their own their own downfall, really. Um, but but I don't know. It just seemed like Raúl Jiménez was going for the ball, and as we know, he he came off the worst um, against David Luiz, as we all know. So when he was down, you're thinking, ah, oh, you know, hopefully this isn't bad for him. But it doesn't mean every challenge ends up in a card, you know. And uh, I thought the more you looked at it normally things look worse but the more you looked at it the more you thought well actually you know that just seems like a a collision I don't think I don't think he was necessarily reckless and it certainly cost them I think it's kind of mad as well like the you know it's rare that you get the outpouring of sort of almost grief for um, a manager going as Bielsa did but it just it did look I guess it did look David at the time that just with the the way the trajectory it was going and his contractual Situation, the possibility he was going to leave it. It probably did look like one of these times, and it was actually a good idea just to get rid of the manager and make a change. Yeah, I mean it's a big call, right? Because I mean the impact he's had has been as as sort of been huge in a short period of time. And you mentioned that the outpouring of grief. It's almost akin to someone who's been a manager there for sort of 10, 20 years, you know. But that showed the impact he had. Um, it just wasn't changing for him, and and I think the way they were playing. I think, do you know what? I think the players lost belief in it. I think they lost belief in the aggression of going man for man all over the pitch when they were picked apart at times and obviously conceded a lot of goals. I think he was really unlucky with the injuries he had, certainly in the front part of the pitch, you know. Um, but, you know, Jesse March has, has come in and, you know, he's eventually got his wins and, um, you know, really steadied the ship. So, um, but I, I thought Bielsa brought a lot to the Premier League. You know, uh, uh, I really did, but just a few things went against him in the end. Have you have you had an experience of that where, because um, we'll talk about like young managers now and like I was at Shelburne last night and Damien Duff was probably like the worst night he's had so far as a manager. Like, yeah. have you had experience of like this manager who for so long that you played under was like, you know, you're buying into it and so forth, but then you can finally feel for the end that it's just not working anymore and it's, something just changes and you can't get it back? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting with, with Duffer because, you know, obviously I, when he got the job, you know, I actually know some of the people behind the scenes there, but when, when Damien got the job, you know, it's a big it's a big leap to give someone young, obviously a high profile, that, that job. But, you know, all the things he was talking about he had to do, you know, in terms of coaching, managing, getting lads, driving them here, driving them there, you know, you, you kind of got to do everything, but that that's the level, that's how it is. Um, baptism of fire for Duffer, but but nonetheless, I think for, for Bielsa, it was um, a case of, you know, and maybe, maybe, you know, it's not always the younger manager that, that does best, but it just looked like, as I say, I think the player lost belief in him. Uh, uh, I think they loved him, but I'm not too sure they were carrying out his instructions with belief that it was going to change. So I think then it's difficult to remain as a manager. 
Like uh, David, when, when when you were a teammate of Damien Duff's at international level, like was he one of those players in the dressing room that you always knew was go- was, was kind of headed towards a career in management? That, that someone that maybe had those characteristics, that that someone who would succeed in the game, or was he maybe a surprise when you saw him heading that direction? Well, I think it's great that he's gone straight into. You know, there's been a few of the lads that have gone gone sort of straight in. There's been some that, if you look in the media, there's a lot of ex-Ireland players who seem to favour the media and less so going into coaching but the likes of Stephen Reid you know Dean Kiley's gone into it um, you know so and Damien Duff has obviously been at a few different clubs you know Celtic etc um, before coaching lower down to get in the to get in the role did I ever see him being a manager well, it's, it's hard to say I mean he's very focused uh, very focused on 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 being the best that he could be so anyone like that you know, a bit like your Wayne Rooney at Derby, you know, you know they'll give everything as a number one, but it's it's such a difficult job. You know, it's a really difficult job. And I think um, um, as it's been shown at Shelburne, you know, it's, it's just difficult to, you know, to, to get right. Whether I could see any of the lads being managers, it's hard to say because, you know, one thing, it's one thing playing, it's another thing knowing if you've got the personality and, and all the attributes needed to be a manager, it's a completely different skill set. And only some of those you can transfer, right? I mean, Damien knew if he was on form, you know, he would be the best player on the pitch and, and et cetera. But they don't always transfer to being the best, the best manager because a lot of it is is out of your control. What, so, um, yeah. What do you put it down to in turn? I think John Sheridan's the only former Republic of Ireland's international I think in the four divisions in England now who's coaching yeah. uh, what do you yeah. put that down to David actually I know it's a, do you know what I've, I've discussed this with my peers and you know John what has he gone back to Oldham for the sixth time yeah. I think yeah and he, and he had a, look he had an immediate impact and I think actually John going back to Oldham put a lot of our other managers like Keith Millen at Carlisle under a bit of pressure and then they, they sacked him because they looked at the impact John had and thought well we need to get someone and they brought Paul Simpson in and he's done brilliantly out of Carlisle. But why haven't there been as many Ireland managers, you know, sorry, Ireland players going into the management? I, I don't know. In some ways, I think, are they all bright, intelligent lads? And they realise <laughs> the chance of success is so small. You know, maybe, mm. maybe, maybe it's that. Or I don't know, a lack of, a lack of, I don't know, is it a lack of belief that they could be I don't. I don't know. It's or, so true, though, isn't it? Like, if you look at if Steve Staunton never got into management, he'd have like he'd be so well remembered in Ireland. And like as you say, it's, yeah. most managerial careers not only end in failures, but just are failures. Like, mm. yeah, it's, it's it is it's difficult. And and sometimes I let you know I look at Andy Townsend. I mean, you know, I work a lot of talk sport, and uh, you know, we've got Tony Casquet. It's full of former Ireland internationals. You know, I know Shay Gibbons dipped in, but then Shay Gibbons. Shay's dipped out again and has Shay got one eye thinking well you know the 24-7 nature do I need a break from it I, I don't know Stephen Reeves has done that a few times I mean um, it, it is a difficult it's a world that once you've been in it as a player for 25 years to go straight into it as a coach for another 25 years sometimes is uh, a bit daunting uh, can I do that it's interesting yeah. actually like you look at the Ireland 2002 World Cup squad say for example like you've Lee Carsley there's someone now who just happens to be the manager of the England 21 sides at the moment but like he is the one but it is it is a striking thing now I do think though 
I think some of the next generation, the, just the next generation down from that one, like the slightly older lad, you see John O'Shea now sort of making moves that way. Like he's, he was involved at Reading for a while, although as, as David said, he almost he dipped out of it again too. Uh, you see Paul McShane and that sort of player coach role in Manchester United. Uh, Gary Dicker, okay, he wasn't an international, but at Brighton. I think there is, like you see Jim Goodwin as well, who's making strides in Aberdeen. It does feel like that there is a generation of Irish coaches and managers just maybe coming through, but for some reason, that particular generation well, didn't, you know, didn't necessarily go, dive headlong into it. Yeah, and there's Brian Barry Murphy, obviously. Of course, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, a, a friend of mine it, it, uh, just came over from Holland, and he's, you know, he popped in to see me before going up to Man City. His son works at Man City, and he says, you know, Brian's doing very well there. Mm. You know, very well, very well respected behind the scenes, and and the, you know, they they think he's a terrific coach. You know, and he did well to be kind of headhunted for that for that under twenty three job. You know, so yeah, there are obviously there are some examples. You know, Paul McShane, as, as you say, that sort of older player, but just newly retired or whatever. You know, coaching, starting off his coaching, but probably not as many as as you'd hope. You know, Kenny Cunningham I played with. You know, obviously, sort of dipped in and out, and 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 you know, is, is settled on the media. So there's, there's a lot that have that have done that. Lee's probably an exception. I know Lee, you know, very well, and. Um, I know actually that the, uh, John McDermott, who, who, who's been a big influence on him, is now technical director of the FA. And it just seemed like Lee was always um, leaning towards having an, a smoother route with the English FA rather than the Irish FA for some reason. I, d I don't know why. Mm. You know, but look, yeah. Keith Andrews, Keith Andrews has done well. You know, um, <clears throat> so there are there are a, a, a couple of. Would I like to see more Ireland internationals in like the international scene? You know, if they if they're good enough, um, I think it's always good to 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 have uh, former international as long as obviously they're they're good enough, they're qualified, and and they want to do it. Then I think it would be great. Yeah, they've tried it a bit the last few years. I mean, John Walters, yeah. John Walters is helping with the 19s now. I think yeah. David Myler has been helping out with, is it the 17s? I think it is. So they've tried it the last couple of years. Andy Reid was obviously there for a while as well too. So it's something they have looked at, but it's, um, you know, they're not necessarily like full-time roles either. It's more, you know, advisory stuff. And as David yeah. mentions, like, I mean, Lee Carsley several years ago, um, and we would have spoken about it previously with, with Kevin, with Kilban on, on this show. I mean, I think I think Carsley's name was dropped to the FEI at the time several times, and the FEI at that stage, they weren't really interested in following through with it. Mm. And it doesn't, in hindsight, it doesn't look like uh, doesn't look like great judgment. I, I think as well, Shane, though, it's a numbers game because mm. like it's kind of like the globalisation of the Premier League in terms of Irish players not where they were asked twenty years ago, but like. Uh, even in the League of Ireland, if a job comes up now, I mean, like there's 50 people applying, and a lot of them are very high caliber, including some ex-internationals. In, in Ireland, to get exactly. work here. Yeah, like, like yeah. so, like I think when John Coffey got the job at Cork City, for example, um, there were amazingly good names in the hat even then, and you you find this time and time again. Um, the League of Ireland is the place where a lot of these managers have to go for now. Mm. And if you're, uh, with all due respect to the League of Ireland, if you're a player like Damien Duff coming in. And Shelburne doesn't work out that well. It's a massive black mark in your CV because it's seen as well. If and I was watching the game last night. I don't know, David. Like, is this something that uh, is this true or not? But like, I was just trying to imagine Duffer's kind of um, 
thought process as some of the players that he's managing now did like some of the basic things that they just either weren't able to do or couldn't do last night and I, you're you're kind of thinking of that's the yarn about Roy Keane not being able to maybe deal with that when he was at like Ipswich and so on that he couldn't take in that these players couldn't do what he did but like this is at a level that this is a League of Ireland team who last night in the base of last night could be in the relegation battle and like I was wondering what does Tuffer how does he deal with that? Yeah that that is um you know that is difficult because it's one thing you know when you're when you're um and he has been coaching say in the younger age group it's another thing obviously as as the first team manager because ultimately when once you make that step over <clears throat> you know it's it's a it's a different pressure a completely different pressure and and basically you you're suddenly making every decision that has an impact but what you're getting at is you know if you've been a top player does it prevent you being a top coach well it it depends i think that that is really dependent because you know i don't know if damien coaches on the grass because it, you know roy, roy king didn't coach on the grass you know roy king was a manager who oversaw like a helicopter and then he had Tony Lachlan who was his coach well he's, he's with you know, Joey O'Brien Dan so like I don't know how, how and I think he does I think he, he does, does do, though, I think yeah. he does a lot yeah no I think he does I think that's I think with Damien Duff you sense this the, the, the coaching thing is is part of his addiction really to some yeah, degree yeah, you know yeah. he, he's very much into that but sorry Dave I know you're because I, I, I was conscious of the Roy Ke- that you'd worked under Roy Keane and he had a definitely yeah. a different style you played he under did, him yeah, as well yeah. did you? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, you know, Roy signed me, but but that's right, yeah. you know, it's it's it, it's it is hard because the, what what the point I'm getting at is there's a reason why you know certain managers don't coach, and that is because at certain clubs there is a lot that you can miss if you're on the grass, uh, uh, you know, uh, focused on a session. Like you can spot things that maybe you wouldn't if if you were coaching the whole time. So there's a real fine, but I can understand why some managers don't coach and I can understand why Duffer would coach. But by the same token, it's, it's all encompassing if you've got small staff to keep on top of everything. And uh, I, I imagine, you know, Damon's got, you know, in terms of budget, budgets, etc. it's a, com- a completely other end of the scale. Um, How did it you- work under Roy then, though? So Roy, in what way? Like, so in, was was he? Did he have any input in terms of like the coaching side of it, or did he? I can't remember who he was. Tony Lockton. Yeah, no, no, yeah, no. I mean, he no, he did, a lot of that would would just be down to his his coaching staff, and Roy would 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 um, you know have an impact on the, what sessions to do. But other than that, he'd be a. a observing a bit like Sir Alex used to do. You know, that was Sir Alex's way. So that's what he. He grew up with, but you look at you look at lads. I'm sure we're going to get onto like your Arsenal's and your Man United. You know, Mikel Arteta is 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 a coach. He's a field coach. You know, he's out on the grass. Um, he wants people to be 100% disciplined, not late to training. Arsene Wenger was a little bit loose like that. You know, so um, just because you worked under certain managers, just doesn't mean you're going to be like those managers. That's that's what I'm getting at. And obviously, Duff has had a, a an experience with a lot of managers in his career and Roy was influenced I think a lot by Clough and, and Sir Alex Ferguson so that had an impact in terms of how we managed yeah it's funny that isn't it even just watching Arteta on the side yeah there, I was like... just going to say you're watching Arteta now and it's interesting that if you consider that they're in a top four race with Manchester United and actually now feels I haven't seen too much of Arsenal this season but I have this week between the Leicester game and Liverpool and a bit of today you can see that they're a team that now has a bit of an identity there's a pattern to how they play considering you're watching Manchester United and you're not really sure you know what you're, you're looking at a sort of a collection of individuals trying to do things at times whereas you Arsenal you see more Guardiola in them though well, I mean, you, I, I mean 
mean, you'd have to assume that working under Pep for yeah. you know a period of time, and then like the as David mentions, the Wenger experience as a as a player. Like you know, I don't know what you make of Arsenal at the moment, David, but it does it does feel like they've they've turned a corner a small bit? Yeah, I mean, I've I've watched them live a couple of times, and um, you know he's had to make some big calls, and I'm sure we'll we'll discuss it. But say United have got to make some big calls in the summer. Look, Arteta got rid of a lot off the wage bill. Um, you know, he he got rid of players that you you know I did one game at the Emirates working there, and I had to leave in lockdown as soon as I'd finished working. And you know, Abamyang was was out ahead of me before I'd left in his car. You know, so mm. so basically, he didn't have a shower. I finished the game, and obviously not happy. And away he's go. Now the point the point is that I think Mikel Arteta had to do some major work to get the 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 players that he wanted, who who he was happy with, and and rightly or wrongly, he's made those decisions, and he's got a young, hungry group who are talented, make no mistake, got pace at the back. They've got pace at the back, but I don't think United have in central areas. So he's had to spend a little bit, but he's also got rid of a lot of the wage bill, made some tough calls, big personalities out the dressing room. And um, he's got some very talented players. You know, Odegaard is very talented. Saka, superb. So they've got, they've got some, they've got a nice mixture at the minute. And, um, and Arteta, you know, he's one of those, he micromanages by the looks of it, a bit like Pep. He sort of kind of kicks every ball on the sideline, doesn't he? Yeah, Saka just been awarded man of the match as well uh, into stoppage time here at Villa Park. 93 minutes, uh, so three minutes of four out of time played. Aston Villa nil, Arsenal won. I feel like we're going to say they turned the corner. They're going to concede in around yeah, 30 seconds well, here because Villa are putting on a little bit of pressure. Big time. Getting a few crosses into the box. Just one of the texts in here from uh, from CJ53106, by the way, if you want to get in touch with myself and the lads. Managers from the Republic of Ireland, as opposed to the likes of Mick McCarthy or Martin O'Neill, have been, with very few exceptions, spectacular failures in the English game. Name one single manager born in the 26 counties who has had a successful career as a manager since say David O'Leary well um, Chris Hewton it's a very crude like sort of um, cut off point, uh, cut yeah, off point yeah. particularly for like you know sort of Irish and England if you know what I mean um, yeah but I think Chris I mean if you're talking about okay that would be very I think that's going to be a very small pool anyway but mm. if you talk if you talk about other Irish manager I think Chris has been one of them that there's certainly, he's done, you know, he's had success. He has had success. Like David, I know you've done your your, your way for pro license yourself, and you've got that um, management diploma with the LMA. Like, is that do you have designs on on getting further involved in in coaching management yourself, or is that just something that you kind of do when you retire to have it in the you know under your belt? Well, I th- look, I, th- I did it when I was still playing, but I think it's good to, it's good to do. But um, if you have designs, and I, I did initially, but I just think it's a, it's a very it is a difficult. So I, I have a lot of respect for the for these you know the likes of that Duffer going into it, and you know Lee Carsley going into it. But Damien Duff's different to Lee because Lee didn't want the the first team environment, whereas Damien does. You know, mm. so um, I hope it, it it's a challenge for him. Don't make, but I do hope it I hope it works out. But you know, some some lads like it, Lee, even when he got the, the the caretaker role at Brentford, didn't really want it. You know, didn't want it. So like the text in, you know, there's probably a dearth of whether they're you know come through Ireland or born in England or whatever. You know, there has probably been a a dearth of 
of Irish managers for whatever reason. But I think it's probably a, it's, it's a spin-off though. I mean, there is some English managers in the Premier League at the moment, but clearly, like there's a there's a there's a drip down effect of that. Like mm. you see in, in recent, like see Graham Coughlin would have been involved in the lower leagues in recent years. See Alan Sheehan is on the coaching staff at Luton, like his first team coach. Mm. Um, but it's it's hard as well. Like the sort of the opportunities are fewer, and then yeah. like the lower down you go, the more sort of cutthroat it is. Like that's that whole stat about like three quarters of managers don't get a second job like Joe Dunn would have had an opportunity as well um, at Colchester there's been a couple but it's almost like you need to go in at a lower level and be an incredible success you know when your hands might be tied to some degree you know and to actually sort of spin some longevity out of it you know it is as I said I I feel like in the coming years there will be ones that will get opportunities for whatever reason like there's you know there is players from sort of north of the border like you even see like Kieran McKenna getting his chance at at a, at a Ipswich now, like you know, and Brendan Rodgers has met his met inroads, and I don't know. It, it feels like there's a lot of sort of there's an element of luck with it too. Um, but it's an interesting point that the listener raises and stuff. And um, you know, it, it's sometimes you'll have say young managers here who are quite ambitious, who would, who who I think have put themselves in the hat for jobs in the UK, and there's literally hundreds of applicants. Like you know, the MK Don's job last year, we ended up appointing the guy from who came from Belgium, wasn't it? Um, but Liam Manning. Liam Manning, yeah. sorry, yeah. yeah. But I mean, from what I gather, like the, 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 if you saw the entry list or the applicant list for some of these jobs, I mean, there'd be really high-profile people who don't even get an interview sometimes. Yeah, so, you know, it's yeah. really difficult. Yeah. yeah. Well, but, but there is the there is the other thing that some high-profile managers could go in for jobs and, and say, look, don't worry about the money. Yeah. You know, because they'd be they'd have earned. Whereas some other managers, you know, uh, would would need the money. You know, and mm. and and the higher-profile coach or manager might might get more bums on seats and stuff you know and, and the money's less of a factor whereas you know when you've uh, <clears throat> you know f- but whereas for some other coaches or managers that it's obviously important as well as everything else you know? isn't that isn't that absolutely insane the point you make though so you're, you're basically a three to one chance to get another job like if you you take this job and basically there's a 75 percent chance you're not going to get another job and it's like why why would you risk that in terms of your legacy and it's it's quite binary as well was he a success was he a failure when I mean there's a lot of luck involved or a lot of nuances involved um, things might change in terms of a lot of bad luck with managers or whatever or with players and then you get bored to like I mean are extremely trigger happy in terms of like even you look at Bose at the moment people are ca- almost calling for a Keith Long's head right now and I'm just thinking like sorry what like and I don't know there's a, a lot of madness involved in, in in terms of like what Stephen Bradley's in his sixth year and that's considered really long even in Ireland but look yeah but the, the, the championship attritional rate mm. and that's why like you and I think it's an interesting point David mentions as well that like there's a generation of players like the, t- the top players now or even not even necessarily top players now guys have had a good career in the championship in the last maybe 10 years like they've made a lot of money from the game you would think you know and I know it's not life doesn't always run as uh, sort of playing as, as easy as that but there has to be a degree like you know like the likes of Gerrard and Lampard and people like this I mean they're not doing it for the money I mean I'm sure they're negotiating good contracts but like there is a sense of those people who want to stay in it like there has to be a real hunger and desire and you have to be like but they're also probably conscious of their reputation too and that first job is, is so important like you look at someone like Robbie Keane for example who has been a number two in various places and I'm sure he's must have had opportunities along the way to dip in somewhere I know he's on the books of the FEI at the moment and that's a contentious subject in itself but but it, but it is but like that first job for him is 
is big, you know, because there's almost once you dip into it, everything you've done as a player, I'm not well, saying, well, he's, he's I'm not also, saying it fades, but like he's he also coloured by Stephen Kenny. Like it's clearly out there that Stephen Kenny didn't want him on his team. Well, I don't so. think anti- I, I, I don't, but it's, it's like, well, why does Stephen Kenny not want him on his team? So I don't Robbie think that was to... a big drama. I think a manager was entitled to pick his own staff. Like mm. you know, I, I, don't, I don't. To be fair, I don't think there's any that's any reflection on Robbie really. You know, but I think I think it's more a case of like Jonathan Woodgate wanted Robbie to be on his team. Mm. You know, he like he brought him somewhere, but it's a case of I think for someone like Robbie who clearly it's not going to be for financial reasons he goes into the game it's a desire to stay involved and, and to you know his you know his motivation to be a manager which I gather that it exists but mm. it's so you have to be so careful with the choice of that first gig you know it really does because all of a sudden you join a long list that are sort of cast aside if it doesn't yeah, necessarily click for you yeah about that when he was on yeah. yeah it's funny like and this is a very random um, way of describing it but like I was reading Matthew McConaughey's book quite recently the actor and like he was talking about the fact that he was known for these rom-com movies and decided one day I want to win an Oscar I want to be a ser- an actor taken seriously and not just do these how to lose a guy in 10 days type films and he just stopped answering the phone stopped picking up the phone mm-hmm. and took years and eventually got a, got a role uh, that, that led him down the line of serious acting and it's, it's almost like managers as well that I think I've only got a soul shower pops to my mind straight away you almost David need if you've had a, a tough enough time especially a tough enough finish at a certain club you need to nearly put, uh, stop answering the phone and, and just ride out the, the year or two whatever it takes in order to be taken seriously as a, as a candidate again nearly yeah possibly I mean the, the other I can see this from both both sides really because if you've been a top player say like Roy he could have what 10 years out the game or eight years out the game and then still be offered a first team job which is quite incredible right mm. i mean but that was the impact he had there now i am sure you know everyone wants to be well remunerated or you know their worth i'm sure he was shocked probably at what was offered as a manager i assume and it's very difficult to have you know to then to then accept the job maybe when you've got the security of a of a punditry role, you know, uh, uh, mm. <clears throat> probably for a lot, lot more. So in terms of, right, if I'm going to be a, a manager, if Robbie wants to be a manager, the, the best thing he'll get back is is to sever his ties with the FAI and, and, and get back in the game rather than, you know, being on the hook sort of thing for, with the FAI for, I don't know how long he's got left on his deal. I don't it's know. The summer, it's up in the summer. So at, at, oh, le- right. at least yeah. it's finally over, you know, and there's yeah. some sort of yeah. degree of closure on it then. Yeah, but you look at some managers, you know, and the best thing they can do, get your entrance right and your exit. That's what they say, you know. Mm. Um, so on that contract, <clears throat> the exit has to be right because then, you know, Robbie can be moving on and getting on if he wants to get back into... There's no way Robbie should be, you know, playing at Soccer Aid or whatever when he's on the staff of Ireland. It'd be best if for everyone if that was... If if the, the contract, everything was, was done and dusted. And, and But it's not his fault. You know, it's not his fault. And as you say, Stephen's entitled to, to utilise the men that he wants um, but yeah it's it, it, it's an interesting topic certainly just when you when you talk about Roy Keane there uh, David and, and like did you did you find when, when Roy signed you for, for Sunderland did you, did you feel there was a difference in Roy Keane that the teammate and the player with, with the national team and then no. Roy Keane the manager <laughs> no <laughs> no because you, you know why because otherwise it would be you know disingenuous if he was suddenly someone completely different mm. you know you can understand it but he wasn't someone necessarily who would be you know uh, uh friendly happy go lucky one minute as a player and then different as a manager he, he, he was just the same person which you respect right 
So, you, you know, you, you, you know that. Um, so I, I have played with other people that have gone on to be, uh, who are maybe teammates, gone on to be managers, etc. But I think, <clears throat> I think for Roy, he's a, uh, you know, I still think he has definitely got something to offer as a manager. Um, but, you know, the game moves on so quick. You know, you, you, you're out of the game. If I don't go and watch a League One game in, in England, or if I don't watch a championship game for a couple of weeks, you know, it moves on. How's Benny doing? Or how's other, if we're going to talk about him, you know, did I see his goal last week? You know, you, you miss stuff, even in a week or two weeks. Mm. It's not as easy to to suddenly be out of the game for so long if, uh, to, and to get back in it and know the level. You know, you've got, a, you've got to know the level. You, you really do. Yeah. It's got to be way, way simpler back in the day when managers could get like, and, you know, there wasn't anywhere near as much analysis, data, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and players could get away with stuff like that. You know, it's 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 difficult for Oike now because he's, with every passing day, he's more of a pundit than a football manager, you know, and... Um, but look at Mark Hughes, right? Look at Mark Hughes yeah. going in at Bradford. Here's another example. Well, mm. is that a surprise he's dropped to, to there? Or is Bradford, you know, is it is it close? Is it, you know, is it is Mark Hughes bored? Well, I, I think some managers like you know? some managers definitely, definitely, definitely have like uh, and I remember having this conversation with a, a, a another intercounty manager about Brian Cody um, and I was like sure Brian will know when the time is up I made this kind of throwaway point or somebody's like no that's hurling is all basically that Brian Cody's hurling 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 why would Mickey Hart take the loud job like I could never get my head around that and I think some of these people they're totally obsessed oh, that's, Mick McCarthy like what's the mm, longest Mick yeah, McCarthy's been out of like work six months I'd say something. like this stint at the moment is up there mm. with one of his longest stints you know and even someone like Steve Bruce who and again, like he got you know abuse at Newcastle, and it's funny. Like Roy Keane did that interview with Gary Neville on the overlap about people who always get jobs, and <laughs> clearly Bruce, as a, you know, is, is always you know he's an attractive candidate for clubs because the amount of jobs that he gets and Bruce uh, but there's an agree, time, there's an agree like, of an addiction there could be my that, last so. job and it clearly wasn't like, so yeah. like do you know what I mean like. yeah 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 I think, I think that the Mark Hughes one is, is, was fascinating though because I can't think of too many examples where someone pops up again in sort of Bradford. League 2 like you know did someone like you know, in recent years how many Premier League managers went down and managed in League 2 like maybe Phil Brown or someone like that I can't think of too many others hmm. off the top of my head who sort of made that hmm. who made that journey yeah it's funny that the managerial merry-go-round for sure I have to take a, a quick ad break but uh, just to bring you up to speed we'll, we'll continue talking uh, David Connolly Dan McDonald Johnny Ward there you're, the voices you're listening to and watching as well on the stream uh, youtube.com forward slash off the ball of uh, Facebook and Twitter as well if you want to if you want to watch our beautiful faces as well as listen to us uh, loads still to, to get through Stephen Kenny's Republic of Ireland squad for one and, and uh, I guess the absentees being the, the, the subject uh, more so than the inclusions uh, Michael Obafemi and, and Aaron Connolly uh, two to mention we'll, we'll talk a bit of the Champions League as well maybe Manchester United and uh, all the action during the week Marcus Rashford in a bit of a tiff with, with a fan outside Old Trafford uh, as well and we'll talk players uh, I guess reacting to, to some of that fan abuse um, but uh, it has gone full time as well I should mention at uh, Villa Park with the, the full time score from Aston Villa and Arsenal it's uh, Tom Ross Aston Villa nil, Arsenal 1 3 points to the Gunners courtesy of a first half strike from Bukayo Saka 
and they dominated that opening 45 with some wonderful passing moves. They created opportunities for Partey and also for Smith Rowe, but they didn't take them. Late on, Watkins had an effort that was pulled in right at the death in stoppage time. Uh, the Kiva Leno had to make a wonderful save to keep the scores at 1-0 uh, to Arsenal. But overall, Arsenal deserved it and are on course for that Champions League place. Aston Villa nil, Arsenal 1. Yeah, big result for uh, Arsenal. Let me get Arteta that one uh, this afternoon. Mike Bukayo uh, Saka, given man of the match, he's speaking in, on television there at the moment. Uh, big, big result for them. Big day for the Irish rugby team as well, of course. 4.45, Ireland against Scotland at the Viva Stadium and uh, we'll have uh, all the updates on that later on. Ashling O'Reilly and Fiona Hayes are at the Viva for us and Brent Pope will join myself in studio from 4 o'clock onwards. Uh, kick off, as I said, quarter to five and then 8 o'clock, France's clash with England. So Ireland, if they are to beat Scotland and secure that triple crown, we'll hope England can beat France and uh, that would hand a Six Nations Championship to Ireland as well. I should mention Munster have suffered a comeback defeat at the, at the Emirates Lions in the United Rugby Championship. Munster had led by 21 points to 10 in South Africa thanks to tries from Finian Witcherly and Josh Witcherly and John Ryan. But then the Lions rallied 13 points without reply to run out, run out 23-21 winners. Uh, so disappointment for Munster there. Celtic can go six points clear at the top of the Scottish Premiership by beating Ross County at Parkhead later. Uh, Chelsea assessing the bids made by potential new owners of course uh, on the pitch they face Middlesbrough in the FA Cup quarterfinals this evening that's at the Riverside from a quarter past five uh, Tyrone will be hoping to ease their relegation worries in Division 1 of the Allianz National Football League as well that's this evening they say just above the drop, drop zone of course and welcome second place Mayo to Oma for a quarter to six throw in Leash hosting Limerick at Amour Park in Division 3 from 7pm but uh, between now and four o'clock as I said OTB Football Saturday plenty to still get into with David Connolly Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward join us after this Yes, you're very welcome along and welcome back to uh, OTB Football Saturday. Shane Hannon with you through until 7pm this evening. An extended show, of course, with the Six Nations. Uh, myself filling in for John Duggan this evening and loads still to get through uh, plenty between now and 7 o'clock. We've got, of course, uh, Brent Pope in studio, as I said, just after 4 o'clock. Fiona Hayes as well at the Viva Stadium for that Ireland-Scotland game we're currently watching here. Wales have just scored a try against Italy. Wales 5, Italy 6. Uh, 28 minutes played there in Cardiff in that game. Uh, but it is OTB Football Saturday as I mentioned already and uh, brought to you by Sky don't miss Spurs versus West Ham on Super Sunday live only on Sky Sports we've got David Connolly the former Irish international striker on the line with us and in studio it's Johnny Ward and Dan McDonnell alongside me um, David we, sh- we should mention the Champions League midweek and, and look disappointing night for Manchester United fans against Atletico Madrid um, plenty of um, shithousery I think you're, it's fair to say from the Atletico players <laughs> but probably nothing uh, that we haven't seen Um like Marcus Rashford's reaction uh, I don't know if you've seen this video clip but he was filmed leaving Old Trafford and uh, different fans shouting um, abuse at uh, Marcus Rashford's direction and Rashford kind of took the bait and, and seemed to respond in some in some fashion he's not having the best of times on the pitch but can it be tough as a professional footballer to, to sometimes always ignore ignore the abuse you're getting when you, when, you, when you hear it and you're clearly within earshot yeah I mean I, I saw nothing in that video to be honest, mm. uh, I, I think it's much ado, much ado about nothing. Um, I couldn't hear what was being said, but but you know, I think just recently that it's been publicised that someone who abused Marcus in the summer, I think he's just been found guilty. So um, he's he's the player as who has taken um, some abuse, a bit like Bukayo Saka, etc. After the summer, um, I, I saw I didn't see a lot in that video. I mean, I don't. Uh, I think you're really splitting hairs here if you're if you're trying to 
say Marcus has done anything, you know, that maybe he shouldn't have done. I, I, I don't know. I just, um, he's going for a bit of a tough time as United are, you know, um, but I think, you know, the, the punters can, can come and they can, I think they if they want to say whatever they say, they, they, they can, you know, they can say that, but you know, you just got kind of got to turn the other cheek and, and walk away. But I, I think he, he momentarily turned around, but I didn't see any aggression or, mm. I, don't, I think he could say anything really about what Marcus did. I doubt we would have gone much further. I know he was not restrained, but I know he just held back a little bit. But, but I, uh, you know, I think United players are used to coming out and it being like that. There's always a load of fans who've, who, who were there to greet their, you know, to greet their side, good times and, and bad. And you, you, as a player, you've got to take the good with the bad, right? But I don't think his reaction was anything to really write home about to be honest there are a lot of like a lot of sad people out there who before the internet basically existed in their own world and you know their own struggles and now they have a vehicle to like have a go at Marcus Rashford or whatever on, online but it's more what interests me is more the um, the crowd like watching the game the other night you can tell he and Maguire are definitely not flavour of the month at the Man United fans but I think you know as a fan you kind of I don't think that's helping at all. I think Rashford is not in a good place at the moment. I think his confidence is completely shot. And fans getting on your back, I just don't see how that helps at all. I don't know if you ever in, had a stint like that, David, where you felt that way. Yeah, oh yeah, I mean, absolutely. But I think, you know, Marcus is, has kind of, um, uh, you know, he's come out of the firing line, you know, so to speak. Alanga's, you know, come in and, and had, a, had a really good impact for United, you've got to say. And I, I guess... Um, you, you know, Alanga might be what Rafford was when he initially broke in, right? And then since then, there's just so much that happens that that maybe takes away from your effectiveness at a player. I mean, I read about Dan James, you know, when he left United, and he said, "What got me to United was being fearless and 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 attacking and taking my man on." And I ended up playing safe. And and I think Rashford has come out of the team maybe for his lack of no lack of confidence, lack of directness. Alanga's come in and he's been that. And I think for for Marcus, he needs to try and get back to that, which is the challenge for him. And in the end, you know, the fans are going to direct their their fire at, at someone. But I think you just good and bad. You kind of got to take it right because I think I know you say it doesn't help, but. Uh, I think players are, are used. Are used. You understand it goes with the territory, good and bad. It's it's, it's mad. Like even just reading Marcus Rashford, he obviously felt the need to, to post a statement on, on on his Twitter about the quote unquote incident uh, after that that game midweek. He said a video could paint a thousand words, and in this case, lead to inaccurate info being shared in social media. Guys, for weeks I've been heckled, threatened, questioned, and last night my emotion got the better of me. I'm a human being. Reading and hearing that stuff about yourself every day, it wears you down. No one is more critical of my performance than me. He goes on to say later in the statement, I want to clarify two things. The first being what I actually said to the man throwing abuse at me, which come over here and say to my face, a fact security can back up. And secondly, the fact I used my forefinger to direct the fan to come over and say to my face, I did not gesture with my middle finger. I'm not entitled. This isn't ego. I'm upset. I'm disappointed. And at that moment it was silly, but I was being human. Fair play to him for speaking out, but, but like, I don't think there's nothing particularly wrong with it. But I don't think with how he handled himself. No. That's there. Why think, is he reading about uh, himself though? Well, this, well it, I know, this, but you know, why you is say, he reading? You about say that, Johnny, though. But I mean, I, it's easy to like. What's to be gained? Like, well, nothing's to be gained. But I mean, what's to be gained from any? And this was like someone who confronted him directly, as opposed to necessarily, um, you know, this this is a bit different to like a social media thing. But you say that like it's not as if 
these footballers or some of them are like living these wild lifestyles where they're sort of out they're on their you know, phone like this this is what they do they're, it's a reflection of what a lot of people their age do and I actually think I mean you have so much respect in a way for the likes of a different club but the likes of Henderson and Milner and people who've managed to like in this era they've managed to sort of keep going all the way through in particular someone like Milner mm. he's been there all the way from what age of sort of 15, 16 making his debut for Leeds he enjoys and, the boring James well I know but it's, yeah. it's clearly well, to be fair that's not actually him right <laughs> <laughs> but like but just, just you know there's a certain mental strength and toughness that at times in his career I'm sure like he wouldn't have been a, a flavour of the month in certain places and he's and I just think it takes incredible sort of fortitude to be able to, to keep on that even keel and I think Rashford is only human and I, I honestly think like if people come and have a go at someone outside of him once it doesn't obviously spill over like if someone responds I don't particularly have a mad issue with it you know coming over and saying well what's your issue and, and, and actually you know there's, 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 there's obviously grades of it like if you do it in a stadium in front of a couple of thousand people you're inciting something yeah. but if someone approaches you outside and <laughs> you try to engage them in a discussion you know given you take it a bit I mean, maybe I, I know you'd be advised not to do it by anyone and to be clear I'm not suggesting he should just go out and start to start tackling people who heckle up everywhere he goes but I don't know I thought there was nothing really in the whole thing you know there, yeah. the, like there's the other end of it David as well in that you see players coming out and releasing statements about everything and anything like David De Gea coming out the other night I'm just reading his statement like we didn't do enough over the two games but this is on us blah 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 this like the usual statements apologising saying we will go again you know this is Man United blah 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 like what do you make of footballers now feeling yeah. the need to kind of explain defeats constantly every week with with, with social media tweets and, and posts yeah. on Instagram I mean look you go back to well, I don't know when did Cantona jump in the Palace crowd whenever that was the glory you know? days so, <laughs> yeah, five, yeah. Five, yeah. yeah. No, so you talk about the grades of you know what Mark I think unfortunately for Marcus you know he's he's become a bit of a um, political figure for a spell as well in in England, you know, with the food and school children and children and 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 he's, he's done brilliantly. What that does then, it just opens up that avenue for people to attack him if he's perceived to be taking his eye off his football. So it's really unfortunate that you'd want his form to kind of keep up so that that doesn't happen. You know, and and look, he's not partying, he's not in nightclubs or anything like that. But obviously, he's, he's spent a bit of time focusing on on maybe other other things to try and improve lives for many other people rather than just himself. But you've then got say Jesse Lingard, who whenever he scores, he does his his celebration that is about his sort of trademark or his Jay Ling's, you know. So there's a fine balance between doing stuff on social media and being out there and, and and trying to have the numbers on your, you know, social media for this or for whatever reason, and then balancing that with not being able to take any criticism. And look, I took a lot of criticism when I was when I was playing. And I kind of I think at times it's unfortunate, you know, but you, it's par for the course, whether it's from the media newspapers, journalists, shows like this, um, punts of fans, you kind of, you, you accept it, but, and you accept it because, you know, you're playing football and, and you 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 know that you're, you've done so well to be able to play football. You, you accept that it's part and parcel of it, you know? So I, I think in there somewhere, I guess is a middle ground that you, that you have to find. And I don't think Marcus or too many other players getting back to your point should be making that many statements on social media, certainly about every... I mean, if you go back 10, 20 years, I mean, there'd be 
people you can't apologize you know incessantly for yeah for all your failings in every regard i mean I, I don't know there has to be a line where you just as you say don't read it but the thing is if you don't read it then you're not on social media you're not looking at your your clicks or your followers etc so there's where does it you know where do you draw the line you know yeah absolutely some some good things to pick up on there uh, we should also touch on uh, after the news Stephen Kenny's squad uh, the omission of uh, Michael Obafemi uh, of course Obafemi asking himself to be to be omitted for, for fitness reasons it seems to be uh, I mean Festi Obaselli there's some good uh, uh, a move to Serie A appears uh, very very close uh, which is another interesting move from an Irish player's perspective and uh, loads else to get in, uh, to get into between now and 4 o'clock so we're at the slightly earlier time today of 2 to 4 for OTB Football Saturday David Connolly Dan McDonnell and Johnny Ward of course then beyond 4 o'clock we'll have uh, all the rugby coverage and build up Brent Pope in studio with myself and Fiona Hayes at the Viva Stadium it's currently Wales 7 Italy 12 after 38 minutes we're back with OTB Football Saturday after this Hey everybody welcome back to Off The Ball Saturday here on Newstalk Shane Hannon with you through until 7pm this evening another four hours left of our six hour sport uh, this afternoon uh, brought to you by Sky don't miss El Clasico Real Madrid versus Barcelona tomorrow live only on La Liga TV and we've got David Connolly on the line we've got Dan McDonald and Johnny Ward in studio and lads just while we're on El Clasico and, and uh, matters in Spain uh, fairly big story and probably something that's going to be uh, utilised by different teams in financial difficulty but uh, Cap Nou of course we know of Barcelona's financial struggles being rebranded and renamed the Spotify Camp News. So uh, a fairly big, uh, iconic soccer stadium rebranded as part of this sponsorship agreement. It gives them the naming rights. Spotify's name will also appear on the jerseys of both the men's and women's team for Barcelona for the next four seasons. Uh, it comes in the same week as well as we've heard of the, the I guess, rumours that Old Trafford could be demolished and replaced with a, with a brand new stadium, but uh, as unlikely as that might be to happen. But David, it brings up an interesting conversation about football fans and their... I guess the loyalty they hold to old stadiums but when you see places like Tottenham Hotspur Stadium you can understand why teams uh, Manchester United included will want to rebrand and kind of improve their facilities because when you, when you see water dripping down from the roof and uh, paint, paint <laughs> yeah. stripping off the walls at Old Trafford it's not a good look No and, uh, and um, obviously the money that, that's gone out of the football club with nothing improved upon is I think is a really good point. I mean, that that image of the the rain leaking through the roof is, um, I guess, etched etched in our memory of Old Trafford. So, um, you know, look for some clubs, a new stadium hasn't always meant uh, success. Uh, West Ham now, obviously, are flying, but it took a long time, you know, for the for the fans to accept that football club. Um, but nonetheless, uh, you know, at this minute with a with a really good manager, you know, it, the stadium's kind of sort of taking a back a back seat really so you know the atmosphere the other night against Sheffield was superb Arsenal you know I was at the last I played in the last game at Highbury for Wigan um, and, and before they moved to the Emirates but you know they found it difficult to to get success so um, but certainly it does it, it does seem like a, a new stadium or an improvement I guess of some stadiums it, it does help and training grounds you know, we got to touch on training grounds because often training grounds are the first thing that players see. And, um, you know, Leicester have got a terrific training ground now, spent an awful lot of money on it. Um, I believe even United could do with a bit of, I, I think if you look at some other sides, you know, Chelsea's training ground, Southampton got a fantastic training ground. You know, the Etihad campus, you know, I think certainly for United, a bit more being spent on the infrastructure is needed training ground and obviously the stadium but you know the fans go there what once every 
three weeks probably on average over over a whole season or once a month. So, you know, stadiums are not used that often, but for players to attract and keep the players, you know, you you got to have a good training ground. I think that the fan experience, Shane, um, like I think I haven't been in the stadium but just from the, the acoustics of it on TV the Tottenham Stadium they definitely seem to have gotten that right yeah. like it seems to be um, there seems to be great atmosphere there and I don't think this should be underplayed because um, if you go to if you go to a sporting event and I'm thinking of the ones that really stru- struck me and maybe it's me now and maybe that's my kind of way of being a football fan or whatever but when you go to an event like Dan and I have been to say Legia Warsaw Dundalk and even thinking back at Carabag against Dundalk there's only 6,000 mm-hmm. people at it like the atmosphere makes such a difference and if you go yeah. to I've been to Premier League games and I like the, the most un, unmemorable experiences and it's just I know it's day trippers but part of it is the stadium as well and if every new stadium is the same um, and it's kind of like, well, that's grand, but like, you know, I don't. It didn't exactly move me. The hairs weren't standing at the back of my neck. So I think when, if Old Trafford is, by all accounts, Old Trafford is not the most um, atmospheric place at all. If they do build a new stadium, I think it's important to get it right that it's an experience to go there and that you can make some noise because um, if football isn't like going to the the theatre or going to the cinema, like it should be something that really moves you. Yeah. Um, and it was funny at the game last night in Talca. The theatre can move people as well, Johnny. To be yeah, it can, but not not in a kind <laughs> I of. I just think that I could just not in a, before the people in the art start I actually it. I actually watched a Beckett play recently. I was I felt very um very very cultured. But uh, at the Talca game last night, I saw some kind of like um, tourists effectively, and. Uh, I think some were referencing on the PA and I was just like yeah they they would not be making much of this experience there was no atmosphere at all really at the game and I was contrasting that to like the games have been at this season where Shells have been playing like Pat's great atmosphere of the game other games have been at but last night you have a small away support a muted home crowd in a really decrepit stadium and I don't think um, they'd have a 10 out of 10 experience I think the broader point though is I mean naming rights is such a mm. potential it's, it's a lucrative area I mean in Irish football I mean the Aviva thing is is precious you know in terms of like even the FEI were in bad times you know trying to try and get an advance done on the Aviva naming rights and get some of the cash in uh, and it's striking that Barcelona have gone that way and more so the broader point there is explaining how Barca maybe financially um, I mean they've had their issues in recent years that have been very well documented and they have to go down that road now I can't imagine still there's going to be too many people in Barcelona saying they're looking forward to heading down to the Spotify later <laughs> on you know like the Camp Nou is, is like that's going to remain um, and that's just the, the way it is but there's obviously there's that trade off between tradition didn't we say that about the Point Depot though we all said we're not going to call it the three arena but now we I, I take do. that point, and maybe yeah, nice you know, pun there. There's, 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 <laughs> there's, there's, yeah. Some sponsorship deals like exist in a different way. Like you refer to the Emirates and stuff, but like the Aviva is uh, a disgrace, and you're as guilty as everyone else. Like it's, it still lands down road, and you're calling it after an insurance. I think, I think, I think when it's when the stadium has been knocked and rebuilt, if you're looking at the same camera angle and position, yeah. and the same backdrop, then it's very hard to imagine referring to it in another way. Whereas I think when it's done up. It has a certain 
it's easy for that to sort of to slip into the lingo you know to slip into Aviva the language doesn't renew its sponsorship what was it a 10 year deal or something well they've, yeah they've renewed it again I'd imagine if they hadn't yeah. then it's like well oh yeah oh god I missed the Aviva I mean, you know this is an insurance company like they're just they just have naming rights for I know but you're listen you're working in the horse racing world where you watch a racing pundit and like the, the length of the sentences to get through all the sponsors and we're looking forward <laughs> to the brown advisory chase this mm. week and you know, do, you ref- there is do, that. do you refer to races as the Hennessy that aren't uh, the Hennessy yeah, anymore yeah. Yeah, so I mean, like it, it does, it does exist to some to yeah. some degree. Um, but I think, like you see Chelsea at the moment. I mean, the the situation with Chelsea and um, isn't one of the concerns is that Stamford Bridge really isn't the cash generator compared to maybe what uh, the Spurs Stadium can be. And the, like they, when they had the Abramovich, the, that sort of empty, the sort of the blank checks he could almost, you know, they could write there. Um, it wasn't so much an issue. Whereas now you actually look. Chelsea's potential and the stadium comes into it so I can understand for, for Manchester United for such a sort of commercially driven organisation ultimately how all of a sudden um, this becomes a bit of a quandary for them mm. um, because that's they're, they're very much a bottom line club at the moment maybe almost to a fault you know yeah like the atmosphere thing that, that you brought up Johnny is, is is fascinating because like I've been to that Tottenham Hotspur Stadium now albeit for, for an NFL London match it wasn't a football game but just a, a cracking match day experience and and like, am I right in saying you were in the San Siro at a, at a game before? Yeah, I've been to San Siro a good few times. Yeah, um, and I don't know. Like, it's it, when I'm thinking back as a kid. Like when I when I went to games that uh, like there might only be three thousand people there in Terryland, for example. But like, just if the noise is, is in that stand and like the Galatasaray game I was at was a friendly, <laughs> and I was like, I, I was absolutely amazed by it. And it, I can't remember much about the game, but I can remember a hell of a lot about the noise. <laughs> and like, I know Dan Legia Warsaw. Was, oh, Legia was that stunning. was just like amazing. But I'm just thinking, like David, even you mentioned you played in the last game at Highbury, which is actually amazing, really, mm. when you think of it. Like you watch the Premier League years now or whatever, and and it brings you back. Or in your case, like it very literally brings you back to a pitch you were on. When you when people talk to you about venues you played in which are the ones that spring to mind like is it the more sort of old school venues that naturally pop into your head or some of the newer ones you would have played in towards the end yeah I mean I I think it's a good point on this because you know some clubs um, you know for example Feyenoord Stadium was was fantastic but the fans weren't particularly close because they had a a ditch around it basically to stop them running on it you know but nonetheless uh, and they had fencing and everything but you know the atmosphere created was was exceptional you know you talk about the San Siro I mean I played it at the uh, Stadio dell'Alpe against Juventus for final and that had zero atmosphere Mm. (laughs) it was a million miles away from from the pitch you know the pitch to the stand so obviously when they knocked it down they made it as close as possible to the pitch and you know the club was transformed what's interesting in England you know a few clubs your Brentford's of this world they haven't when they've gone for a new stadium because it's only a few miles away from me here when they've gone for a new stadium they haven't gone for a 30,000 stadium or something that's too big they've gone for something that they feel they will fill Hmm. no matter what division they're in you know and I think it's sensible monetary management on their part you know, because you look at some, MK Don springs to mind, a 30,000 seat or whatever it is, and it's basically a third full, mm. you know. And and the losses that a lot of clubs make on, on these, it's one thing at a building, building a stadium, but it's another thing, you know, filling it. And that, that's going to that's gonna be harder. It's all right talking about your Uniteds and, and this, because 
you know, they're, they're, they're the kind of few and far between. But I was at Brighton the other night. I'll give an example. Brighton, there were so many empty seats, right? Do you know how many times Brighton have played at three o'clock on a Saturday this season? I think it's two. Yeah, it's 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 pathetic. Two. Like it is. It's it really crazy. Is pathetic. Yeah, it's crazy. On Boxing Day, they kicked off. I was at the game eight o'clock at night. They kicked off Boxing Day. They had no way of getting there. You know. The, the, so look, the, um, within within all that, they've got a lovely shiny stadium. But you know, it, the, the games are never on at three o'clock. So you know, it's uh, that, it's, that's it's a major a tough issue as well. Yeah. The, the, the Coventry, yeah. um, the Coventry one. Like I'd have a lot of cousins in Coventry, and um, for a good friend from my race post days, Patrick McCann, and we been to a couple of games there and it's so depressing like because yeah. oh, oh man yeah. so like I, I forget exactly what happened in terms of the ownership but it's I think it's owned by is it Wasps now it's owned by yeah, one of, yeah. and yeah. Um, like as we're driving out to the ground he'll say oh yeah that's where Highfield Road was and it's like well, that's bang in the middle of the town and you, I remember Highfield Road from TV and you go to a game then and fair enough Coventry haven't had a great time with the last few years but um Oh, it's just soulless around loads of roundabouts and you see like the wasp insignia and you, you, you feel like and I know Shamrock Rovers will have horrible nightmares about what happened to Milltown but when the club lets go of its ground and then it moves out yeah. to somewhere like I just think it's really sad well that's the interesting point on that is obviously wasps ended up bigger than Coventry would mm. you believe it and, and even Brentford you know London Irish player Brentford mm. so they've got the rugby markings on a Premier League pitch which is which is quite incredible, you know, but obviously they struck that deal before Brentford got promoted, I believe. So, um, yeah, it's, it's a fine, it is a fine balance because you look in the MLS, MLS are building new stadiums, you know, and they, they, they built one in Charlotte the other day. And, uh, you know, from not having no football club, they broke the, I think it's the second highest attendance in the world, mm. 74,000. So, uh, yeah, it's a fine line. It's a fine line between the right size stadium and filling it, certainly. Yeah, MLS is incredible. I mean, it's a complete tangent, but mm. what they did in Atlanta, like they built yeah. that stadium in Atlanta. And they actually, I, I used to watch a fair bit, don't watch as much of it now, but like, you know, because the games would be on sort of midnight around Sky. With Before these. you became a father. Pretty much, like, yeah. Your late night later. Yeah. I now watch, well, to be honest, I now watch the A-League in the mornings. <laughs> want anything on sort of Melbourne and Central Coast and all this but I mean the, the whole point is I mean the, the quality of the venues but I mean Atlanta how they managed to seed it in such a way that they created a fan base uh, nothing and I think there was they ended up having the uh, the former Barcelona match, manager wasn't it um, Tito Martino wasn't it right. there but like they, they create a club and they have like looks like a terrific atmosphere you know and like America's mad now 50, regard, it's like, just extraordinary yeah. like, remember Paddy Barrett who plays for St. Pat's now he was in Cincinnati mm. and again similar some the attendances they were getting in the like the USL even before they stepped up were like mm. amazing, you know. But it's but but I suppose as you said, when you some ways they did they didn't have an old traditional the Dell or Highfield Road or something that that it yeah. didn't remind them of. Yeah, you know? I guess even football stadiums that have uh, poor atmospheres traditionally, you need those rivalries. We know the, the age-old probably Atlanta, what Miami rivalries. <laughs> I don't know what the, yeah. the rivalry down there would be, but like we're hey, talking. You, you, you may, sorry to cut in there, but you mentioned um, Alan Sheehan earlier. Yeah, I was at Luton, I was at Luton last week, right? And obviously Kenilworth Road. Look how Luton are doing, and and that small. Stadium, which I know they're going to get a new one, but that certainly helps them when they're playing at home. And I looked over at Al because he had to climb on about 50 foot of scaffolding to watch the game from above. Obviously, told by Nathan Jones, right? You go above, right up on the scaffolding, and you watch the game from up there and report back to me. It was classic. You had to, you had to walk up about five ladders, you know, how, how it was probably, probably, uh, 
the health and safety probably had a word after but it's great you know, though point, isn't it david like it's, it's great yeah the atmosphere there is great so you know if they left there would they lose some of that appeal or have they got to make the money to take them to the next you know whatever the next I think Luton is, is incredible yeah. I, I see that they've already, they're already won the up this afternoon yeah, cool. away cool. against Hull they're fourth mm. as it stands That's in amazing. the championship table yeah. having dropped out of the football league yeah. a couple of years ago and Aidan O'Hara will be delighted well, but like, there's Alan Sheehan there Alan McCormick is there there's a few others I think Glenn Ray as well and, and like, but I was there a couple of years back doing a piece with James Collins and I was out at the training ground and look it's not like it's not the facilities are are modest. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. I've never been to the, the ground, unfortunately. But there is that balance. Like I'm sure that the, that intimidation factor or whatever it is, there's something unique about yeah. going there. It's it's worth X amount of points per season. Mm. You know, but they want to get to. I think there was a big dispute in, in Luton as well too. I think to do with the council or something. I don't know what what the situation was there as regards the stadium it was held up for years. But it's a bit of a tangent. But it's actually a great story. I do I do imagine though a lot of like. Le- older fans in England probably did kind of they, they it's like pining for the old communist days but this actually is true in that like if you were an Arsenal fan I'm sure you pine for Highbury if you're a Southampton fan I'm sure you pine for St Mary's if you're even for a Man City fan I'm sure you pine for Main Road because it's it's not nostalgic to say it's just not the same it's just not that noise and that you know you have so many day trippers going to games as well now and all the stadia are the same and people are sitting down and I think safe standing is something they have to get right as well Shane yeah. like they have to have terraces at grounds like if you're sitting down like you're spectating if you're standing up you're a participant that's that's the way I look at it anyway and like I, I'm um, that is one thing I love about the League of Ireland it's <laughs> the, the, the stadia are so bad like uh, we're still stuck in, in the in, in, we're still stuck in time basically oh, God, we're going back in time yeah, we, we want better stadia but like yeah, I actually I, don't I actually still enjoy going to Talca last night well, like the, it's the worst like the, the view in Talca Park and the press area is the worst I, I've ever seen at any game but I, I don't know I still kind of love see, it see you just like the drudgery that's, why, that's yeah. why I, don't I go, love the drudgery that's why I don't go to the theatre that often yeah. I, I should mention well, I went to a Beckett place so that was drudgery uh, yeah. friends, but, I yeah. should mention Peter Coyoso as well from Swords was play, starting for Luton today Glenn Ray's gone out on loan actually Coyoso is um, I think he's a wing back um, and he's starting today so he's kind of slipped under the radar uh, but as the Luton story generally is uh, is a pretty oh, good one. Fascinating. You mentioned the day trippers there, Johnny. It's an, uh, Johnny, it's an interesting point. Like, text in here, lived in Barcelona for for 10 years, was at numerous games in Cap Nou and zero atmosphere every time, despite 90 plus thousand. I think Michael Robinson said it's full of old ladies with fur coats. Only two games had atmosphere and neither had Barca. 99 Champions League final and Brazil played a World Cup warm-up game against the Catalan national selection. Best atmosphere ever helped no end by the Brazilian attendance. That's a problem, I guess, those super clubs are going to have anyway. You're yeah. going to have day trippers in for, for the day like yeah I think I think JD might have been slightly exaggerating when he said they've they've nothing else in Newcastle when he was on about the football team but there is an element of like I mean it's like you know when if you watch games in Monaco or you go to places where people are wealthy or they're just so accustomed to success it's just, it just gets a bit boring after a while so whereas if you go to a game in um, say like for example Istanbul or whatever where football Belgrade, is Belgrade. Belgrade like where especially where if there's an element of people who are like downtrodden or are suffering in normal life and football means that much to them it's a, it, it's a it's a it's an abstract experience whereas like I I would have no um, inclination whatsoever to go to a Real Madrid game or Barcelona it wouldn't interest me in the slightest and I was supposed to be in Cheltenham last week and I ended up getting COVID but like when I was looking at the fixtures I started at League 2 and I wanted to go for the most kind of like earthy experience I could get and I'd settled on <laughs> it's um, like a personality test to be done around yeah. oh, but there is 
so it's like well, man, the, yeah. you know it's a, the, the journeyman has a lot has an interesting story compared to the lad who won everything I find but I, I settled on the county grounds because when I started to get into the Premier League Swindon had that one season where they were in the Premier League and I remember like the county grounds was absolutely great atmosphere in those days and they obviously got relegated but Swindon were playing at home and they're now in the fourth tier and they're trying to get promoted um, then I got COVID anyway yeah, someone texted in 53106 I can safely say the showgrounds has a better atmosphere than Old Trafford too many tourists sitting back with the attitude come on impress me it's as if they're at the cinema says Anthony in Sligo like Dan mentioned the Dell not long ago I know uh, David your Southampton days I think they moved from the Dell in 01 maybe so you, you were uh, it, it was yeah. long gone by the time you arrived but I know P- Portsmouth was your your club straight after Southampton like did you did you manage to play in any of those South Coast derbies like was that a, a derby with any atmosphere no, I didn't. But you know, if you're if you're if you're at Feyenoord and you play Ajax, <laughs> you know you've you've got a couple of hundred fans there. You know, but nonetheless, the, the atmosphere is great. A bit like Newcastle, the way in, you know, you you have a couple of hundred fans. That that is about it. And in some ways, you know, that's if you're a player, you like that, you enjoy that going into the sort of the den uh, like like that. Um, but yeah, I think I think some clubs, you know. Certainly, Southampton. I wouldn't say the fans are as vocal as a as a Portsmouth. You know, just in terms of the stadium, but you know the the the, the, the atmosphere generated at Portsmouth because again, you're so close to the pitch. However, you know that's a, a stadium that like has needed repairs for a long time. They're finally happening, but they kind of needed it because look, when when Harry was in charge, I read that you know the club never had a training ground, and rather than buy a training ground, even then they went and bought a player. You know, so um, it, it, it's uh, and in the end, that's how Portsmouth ended up in so much trouble because you know no money was invested in the infrastructure. I know we talked about United, but you know at the other end of the scale, say Portsmouth, nothing was spent on the training ground and the club facilities. <clears throat> it was all about you know having a team that can compete. Uh, so you know, and then eventually, obviously, when things go wrong, you, you don't have a training ground. You've got nowhere to train. We we're training in school. The stadium seen better days. But I guess you ask Portsmouth, well, I don't know, it's difficult when they were, you know, winning and doing well, winning FA Cups, but then obviously a, a bit of a trail of destruction left left afterwards, you know. I should mention some of the, the live scores. Uh, just uh, Six Nations, Wales 7, Italy 12, 46 minutes played at Cardiff, and that one, of course, Repub- uh, Ireland uh, taking on Scotland from 4.45. That's at the Aviva Stadium. Brent Pope will be in studio with me. Fiona Hayes on the line uh, from the Aviva. Uh, some of the results from earlier in the Championship. Derby County 1, Coventry City 1. Festi Abaselli, who we'll talk about shortly, uh, came off the bench for Derby after an hour in that game. Uh, and Sheffield United 2, Barnsley 0 uh, was a result. Uh, of course, John Egan and Callum Robin, or uh, Connor Horhan, sorry, uh, lining out for Sheffield United in that game uh, plenty of other Irish interest in the games ongoing across the championship as well Bristol City and West Brom 0-0 Huddersfield Town trailing Bournemouth by a goal to nil it's Hull nil Luton 1 as we mentioned there uh, Reading and Blackburn Rovers scoreless after 22 minutes Stoke 1 Millwall nil, and it's goalless between Swansea and Birmingham City uh, lads I do want to touch on Stephen Kenny's squad uh, for these upcoming games against Belgium and Lithuania um, and really interesting press conference even with, with Jim Crawford the under 21 boss during the week where he uh, essentially preempted. Um, Femi not being in his squad he says via his agent he sees himself as a senior Republic of Ireland international so wasn't included in that under 21 squad uh, and then of course Stephen Kenny uh, named his squad neither Michael Obafemi nor Aaron Connolly included uh, Obafemi he's in 
really 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 good form at club level at the minute for Swansea uh, bit of a strange one this like I don't know what you lads make of the Abafemi yeah. exclusion for, for one I, I think on form he definitely merits being in the team he's playing really well for Swansea he seems to have a manager who believes him he's explosively quick and but he's shown a like and I haven't I've seen one full game of him and I've seen highlights he's shown aspects of his game um, in terms of passing around the box and that there's no way no way no way whatsoever on merit he shouldn't be in the Ireland squad but I'm sorry like um, his reputation isn't necessarily that great in terms of his attitude and if you're called up to the under 21s you bloody well go to the under 21s yeah. and if you want score goals to the under 21s and prove that you're good enough um, and I think I, I think Aidan Aiden Fitzmaurice might have written about this in the Indo today and I didn't read the piece but he the, the headline was basically like this is a dilemma for Kenny and it is a tough one now because yes he should be there on merit but you need to kind of have standards as well mm. and um, I think he, he needs to have you can't have bad apples in your squad and for me uh, in racing terminology he has, there's an asterisk against Omafemi now because we had Jim Crawford on our podcast recently where he spoke about Troy Parrott and I think Troy's trajectory has kind of been a little bit up and down in, ter- in the sense of he was amazing for the 21s got called into the Ireland squad obviously didn't play particularly well against Azerbaijan has had to go back to the third tier to get his uh, career up and running in the league and that hasn't been smooth necessarily either but by all accounts he's more than happy to come straight back into the 21s and Obafemi through his agent saying that I'm better than this for me it's not good it's not a good sign about a, his attitude um, and I, I agree with him he should be in the squad I don't agree with the way he said I'm not going to do this because I'm better than that so yeah. I think there's a squiggle against Well, it. I think, yes, yeah, a squiggle is a, is a racing reference course, isn't it, Johnny? It, it, it's, it's when you have a horse that's basically very talented, but you can't really trust him because he's a, he's a bit ungenuine or whatever. And I, I don't I don't like that attitude at all. Well, I think, listen, I wasn't at the, the press conference yesterday. I normally would be, but I just wasn't. But um, it does appear that Obafemi, like he was offered a call up to this squad and he has suggested, I think Stephen Kenny was trying to play down the under-21 discussion a yeah. bit, but did suggest that Obafemi, he'd spoken to him this week he does want to play um, but that because of his recent record of games which is which is sort of um, until the last couple of months he really hadn't had a sequence of games that he, he that Swansea want to sort of look after him and look after his hamstring in particular um, I don't know it's a strange one though like their their relationship Kenny and Obafemi that is it hasn't always been plain sailing even when Kenny had the, the front four in the in the Ireland squad uh, on 21 squad of Parrott and Ida and he was Conley. fourth he was fourth mm. and uh, then when Kenny got the job at first I remember that it, because Kenny was playing a, a different system at the time with sort of a you know one striker through the middle there was a sense that Obafemi didn't fit into his plans because of maybe how Kenny might, what, what role did he slot into then Obafemi of course had that tweet which he deleted as well after Kenny named his first squad which you know created a little bit of a story that Kenny could have done without at that stage so it hasn't been plain sailing and, and I would say Obafemi I mean I don't know him at all um, but he is one player that at various times his respective managers have sort of made comments in the media that are slightly unusual the type of stuff that you'd expect to be said in house more so about you know discipline and various things so it's clear maybe there's been the odd concern around him now as as you mentioned Johnny and as, as has been mentioned I think by Stephen Kenny what Russell Martin and Swansea there seems to be a good relationship and a belief 
belief. And so you have to take it on trust that what's been said yesterday is a genuine reflection of where it stands and that come the summer, there would be no excuse for Omafebi not to be in the squad. Because I do know um, last week, uh, I was at the, the, the Kenny new contract press conference and he was asked about Obafemi in the, the session afterwards where we were brought in for a little bit of a, a tactical uh, analysis session. And there was a sense even people around the FBI were, you know, were saying, yeah, like Obafemi's in a good place, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's very much in his thoughts. And yet he wasn't in the squad ultimately. So I think it's maybe a little bit more back on the player just to, to answer a call in the summer if it comes, which I presume it will, you know, because on form, as Johnny says, I mean, he's definitely in there. But the Connolly one is interesting as well because it seems like it's a heel injury, but um, Ireland's fortunes in the autumn did take a little bit of an upturn when Kenny uh, maybe made the decision to to, to drop Connolly. Mm. Um, and I, I think uh, I think that there would have been a feeling maybe, I don't think that would have been too unpopular a call at that stage. And maybe there's a sense that, I don't know, does Connolly have a little bit of work to do? I get there seems to be an injury issue, but I still think... Um, I don't know. If he, I think he, I feel like if he was going to be a first choice player for Ireland at the moment, I feel like he might be in that squad. I could be wrong. The, with that. the really bizarre thing is like we've loads of options at goalkeeper and centre back and so forth, and we're laden. So, but but Kenny, for whatever reason, has two players who are right now in very good form or good form in the championship in terms of scoring goals. Neither is in the squad, and it is a bizarre state of affairs. But mm. like you can kind of see why. Like and David, just to get I guess, guess a bit of context on this one. So neither Conley or Abafemi in this squad. Abafemi says he's fit wants, but wants to ease the workload and his fragile hamstrings and Connolly as Dan mentioned has the heel injury uh, although Connolly has been playing at club level but not training apparently with Middlesbrough Stephen Kenny here is clearly taking them both by their words not bringing him into the, into the camp he did say in the press conference during the week that potentially are harming their chances of getting into the uh, Nations League squad campaigns in, in, in June by not linking up at least linking up with the squad um, like what do you make of this one David it's, 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 it's strange to turn down an under 21 call up for one yeah, I mean, I was, I was, I was. I think this is. Um, I've I've been in a similar situation, so I can understand. I can see things from all angles here because there's some things that we may know and some things that obviously we don't know. Now, if Stephen hasn't spoken to to Michael, I would be thinking as as Ireland's manager, as you've said, we've got a dearth of options up front. I mean, Scott Hogan has barely played. Um, you go through. Just the striker list, you know, Troy, you wouldn't say is is, is hit the ground running at, at MK Dons. However, I think Michael Oberfemi has a certain ego about himself, and I think so does Aaron. They're both from Premier League clubs. <clears throat> that might carry a, a, a slight confidence. Um, I think both managers of those Premier League clubs feel that they are not maybe quite ready to play in their first team but maybe the players think they're ready to play in that first team their first teams I don't think Aaron is at, at Brighton I've seen Aaron at Brighton on the bench a few times and he just he needed to get away looked disinterested at mm. times even when he was asked to warm up you know when you sit in the media you're right behind the Brighton bench you know and I know some of the Brighton players I played with them and I, and I talked to them so I think Aaron needed to get away and Aaron needs to focus on his football like Michael Michael pulled his hamstring like you can get injuries. Let's just hope he's living right. Let's hope he's he's been as professional as he can. 
you know, not just at Swansea, but in even when he's not playing at Southampton, looking after himself. Because I think both managers, Ralph Hasselhoff and, and Graham Potter, are two of the best in the Premier League. Mm. And we've got two players there who could play for Ireland. What you don't want to do is blow it with your man perceived man management skills, which can ultimately could dissuade Oberfemi. No matter what you think of his attitude, we don't know that yet exactly, apart from I've heard similar things, you know. So, look, did he talk to him before naming the squad? I don't think so. Is it a case of, well, there you go, you're not in it, go and play in the 21s. Um, you might look at what's in the senior squad and go, well, how are they in it? And, I, and I'm not. However, you know, um, I can see it from, from both ways because at times the communication in my day, it was, you know, not very well communicated if you were, you weren't in it. There wasn't that much dialogue. Uh, I don't know how it is these days. And um, I think with the dearth of options, I'm hoping Stephen is 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 using all his man management skills, even those that he might not think. You know, I, I think the likes of Oberfemi have got a lot to give, to be honest, for Ireland. And uh, we wouldn't want to lose him to somewhere else. And I think Aaron has as well, as long as he, he plays regularly, because I think... He's one of those that could he could drift if he just ends up in and out. He's been in and out of the team at Middlesbrough as well. He, he, he hasn't settled down as well as Obafemi of late. I think that's I, a very good yeah, point. Yeah, I'd share those concerns about Connolly. I would say Kenny did say clearly he did talk to Obafemi this week. I mean, if, if it ever transpired that wasn't the case, that would be a strange thing to say. You know, I think he did say that there was a discussion with Obafemi and that's, you know, because he faced questions, I think, about his allegiance. And Kenny said, well, from the discussion he had with Obafemi this week, he has no fears about his commitment to Ireland. So there was... I mean, there was correspondence there. I know Jamie McGrath was another player who wasn't in the squad um, and Kenny said he'd spoken to him. So I, I do think from the communication point of view, I, I would hope that things are better now in terms of whether it's Stephen Kenny or Keith Andrews or I know Stephen Rice is going to a lot of games. I think they're generally quite good at keeping in touch with players and they need to be for the reasons David says because we're not exactly sort of stacked with options so you can't afford to sort of a uh, you know burn bridges by being casual about it. I, I don't think that's something that would happen at the moment. Well, if, if, we, if you look at Man United, the dressing room as well, like, um, and you compare it, you look at like Seamus Coleman and Duffy and the characters in the Ireland dressing room, I think there's a solid base of people there that'll keep things in check if anyone is being an idiot or messing around. But there's no doubt this is a challenge for Kenny in terms of, like, he and Jim Crawford are given slightly conflicting kind of versions of what's going on. And like, I, I think that Jim Crawford is a, a really, really good guy and I think Kenny's the same but at the same time they have to manage their media performances because they don't want to piss off Obafemi who's obviously apt to put out a tweet and then delete it with an emoji or whatever but like if you look at say Connolly's performance against Portugal when Pepe was roasted for, by much of the for much night and even Ida played well and you think of like Obafemi's pace which is another level altogether if you've pace that, that he has he's a massive massive asset so Kenny now has to kind of keep him on side but at the same time um, reflect on the fact that other people have shown a better attitude to this and uh, this will be a challenge for him it's you know I think Dan wrote about this that his his handling of the Aaron Connolly situation didn't necessarily um, wasn't necessarily like consistent with how some other players maybe thought Connolly was being given well, a slightly favourable he well, wanted to man manage his way out of a crisis with Connolly 
well, I think, it yeah. didn't really work. Like because no. Conley, it just at that time, I'm not sure anything could have saved Conley from the form he was in. I, I think it was becoming a problem for him. Yeah. his loyalty to Conley. Like the Azerbaijan game was obviously. But then at the half, but I would say is that the half time in the Azerbaijan game, he was hooked. That was it. And he hasn't been seen on the pitch for Ireland since. He was brought in October and didn't play. And this is my point. I could be completely wrong. I think I think if Connolly was first choice, as I said, I'd expect him to be involved for these two games. Mm. And I think I think Kenny's big on having a settled squad now. I mean, this is his big thing. He wants a settled squad because there was so much coming and going in that first sort of year. And I, I just wonder to what extent Connolly maybe I thought he'd be in the squad. And I know there's maybe this heel mm. injury, but well, maybe, well, maybe he's decided I'm going to go with. Okay, I know Ed is injured, but I'm going to go with sort of this Ogbené Robinson. Uh, Paris sort of mm. either when he's available I, as a sort of a front four um, rotation with one or like, two others. You well, know? I, I think that was the low point of, of his reign. It wasn't the Luxembourg game which was played in front of nobody. The three, the, the, they got the team wrong against Azerbaijan. Yeah. He yeah. simply got, and in the second half, as much as we eked out a draw, like we weren't playing good football at all. And that was and that was on the back of obviously a great performance three days earlier or whatever. For me, that was um, that was the low point of Kenny's reign and maybe at half time that was, that could have been something of a turning point in terms of right we're going to be um, you know quite ruthless here. but I thought the the one with um, Jamie McGrath was interesting as well because I know Jamie's struggling but he's been very good for Ireland and that was it was an interesting I think it's, but he's sending out a message there to McGrath if you're not playing like yeah, yeah, um, yeah so the other thing I'd say on, on Aaron sorry to, to, to cut in is he's gone from a, he's gone from one type of coach to another Graham Potter avoids conflict mm. and he's gone to Chris Wilder who I wouldn't say seeks it, but he has got no problem confronting it. That's really and I think this is yeah. Yeah. it's gonna be a really good challenge this for Aaron, how he navigates his way through being part of Chris Wilder's team because Chris takes no prisoners. He, I know some of his coaching staff, I've seen him work closely. He will he will make changes after forty five minutes and the players will have to get on with it. And and if you're stropping, he will have no time for you. So how how he how he navigates this is going to be really interesting, Aaron, because Chrissy Wilder is very well respected and for his forthrightness as well and his honesty. And I think if Aaron comes out, he can come out of this two ways. He can come out with this, you know, with a glowing rapport, or he can come out with this with you know a lot of work still to do and and sorry briefly as well the Obafemi thing like Swansea's style of football is so good mm. and it's so much passing 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 um, I've watched them a bit because like Ryan Manning is playing here comes the Ryan Manning point left yeah. centre back um, but <laughs> like, I was, well, I was like how does Ryan Manning end up playing effectively centre back for any team and he's saying well so I, I, I looked at them a bit and like Obafemi will if, if, if he will thrive under that system and I think Kenny will look on that very favourably because he probably has visions of Ireland playing a bit like the way Swansea do but um, uh, if Obafemi could absolutely love his football there and I think Russell Martin is very well regarded in terms of his philosophy as well uh, just before we let you go David and we'll get Johnny and Dan's uh, thoughts on this as well after the ad break but um Festi Abaselli, um he came on after an hour for Derby County this afternoon and he's been getting a lot of game time clearly uh, Wayne Rooney is, is a big fan of his um, and it seems now imminent that he's heading off to, to Serie A from experience seems to be Udinese maybe that, that he's heading to um, like for yourself David you were I, I think the same age as, as Festi 19 or 20 when you, when, when you went off to, uh, to Feyenoord like what, what's, what's that like and what will Festi gain from, from playing in a, in, in a foreign or foreign league I tell you what, there's, uh, I read this and, and uh, it made me laugh. There's three certainties in life. Death, taxes, and a transfer between Watford and Udinese. <laughs> now, like, but without, but, you know, I looked at his agent 
you know, and his agent uh, has a lot of players, not necessarily from the Premier League. It would not surprise me whatsoever because th- these two clubs have had something like 50 transfers between them. 50, <laughs> right? And and it would not, so, you know, if he ended up at Watford in a season or two, you know, then you, you've heard it here first. And I think, <laughs> uh, look, it might be a way to circumvent. I don't know whether they'd be due compensation. What uh, what they'd have, what would have to pay for him? I, I, I'm not quite sure. In, in, but anyway, I think um, whether this is a move with long-term aims of Udinese in mind or to get him back into the English game via an experience there, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, but when I left for final, I mean, we just played in final stadium for Ireland against Holland. And, you know, it, it just happened by chance. It wasn't anything that was long term planned or anything like that. And it was, was much simpler in those days, Dave. It was like, oh, yeah. he played well, sign him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, I, I guess that, that was a bit of a, you know, but anyway, I was young and I wasn't quite ready for the level. Um, you had a cracker but, of a game that night, hadn't you, actually? I, I'm, I'm just kind of going back into my memory here. It was like, uh, you, you were one of our standouts. Well, the, the, but look, the level was, was very, very high. And at that time I wasn't, and look, when I left and won a UEFA Cup, so they were a good team and they're in the Champions League. But look, mm. nonetheless, it is, it is a big, leap to go from a similar standard that Ebisele is going to do now and you just wonder you know if there's other reasons for that you know but we'll have to wait and see yeah it looks like it's going to be a pre-contract agreement in the, in the coming days for, for Festi Ebisele uh, of course out of contract with, with Derby County at the end of the season uh, David been great uh, chatting to you and uh, great having your company for this afternoon thanks a million for joining us Cheers, lads. Take care. That's David Connolly there, the former Irish international striker. Lads, we'll get your thoughts on, on Festi's move and a few other League of Ireland talking points just after this ad break. This is OTB Football Saturday. We're on air now with Off the Ball Saturday until 7pm uh, this evening because, of course, we have the rugby. Currently Wales 14, Italy 15, uh, with uh, just under 20 minutes to play there in Cardiff. This is one of their chances. Like, they, they missed um, they had a simple two-on-one for a try that before uh, Wales scored a try. But this, I don't know when they last won a Six Nations game. This is a chance. I mean, they've I've kind of been half-watching here and they've been unbelievably good Italy could be a disaster for Wales if this result uh, mm-hmm. stays the same uh, really really per Six Nations for the holders it has to be said um, but uh, Ireland of course to come at 4.45pm against the Scots the, the, at the uh, Aviva Stadium triple crown on the line would be the first time we'd have won silverware at home since 2004 so hopefully England can then do us a favour later on as the well boy, the boy taking the he's taken a penalty here from his own half and I'm fairly sure he scored it against Ireland from a similar range um, so this will put them that will be a four, beast of a kick four up which would be amazing um, the boy I love it when Johnny does rugby he's I love 30, it when Johnny goes soccer Saturday on the rugby 31% like, uh, going to Mers Mers is at Cardiff here what's yeah. going on here, we might as well wait for the kick we might as well wait for the kick. Yeah, it's like the day I saw Rory Began kick a 70 metre uh, ball over the bar in Croke Park I believe it just a beast of a kick that is a huge kick oh he's, man he's put it right and wide he, uh, he most certainly he made the distance by he like, most certainly oh, had the man, distance so wide though that's um, a boot uh, but yeah but Rory Began could have been a, he could have like been an, an NFL player I'd say with that probably the, the, the quality of his kicking yeah, yeah. the kicking the kicking's insane for some of them footballers now but uh, we'll get we'll keep in touch of uh, that football and uh, a few more topics to get through with the lads with Johnny and Dan in studio with myself stay with us very right, welcome back to Off the Ball Saturday here on Newstock Shane Hannon with you through until 7pm this evening uh, we're with Football Saturday just up until 4 o'clock 66 minutes on the watch Wales 14 Italy 15 in the Six Nations the Italians putting up a serious serious fight here uh, to come away with points in the Six Nations Ireland of course underway at 4.45 against Scotland we mentioned Johnny earlier it was at uh, 
Shelburne nil, Finn Harps three last night at Talca Park. The other results, by the way, from the League of Ireland last night: Shamrock Rovers two, Sligo Rovers two at Tallis Stadium. Derry City and what a start of the season they've had so far. Uh, the Ryan McBride Brandywell last night two one winners over St Pat's. Drogheda United one, Dundalk nil in the uh, televised game, of course, in the Louth Derby. A rare enough uh, Derby win for Drogheda and uh, UCD and Bowes playing at a one-all draw at uh, the UCD Bowl. But Dan, a tweet from yourself last night kind of caught my eye, and it was an interesting one because. Uh, Drogheda Dundalk was the was the televised game uh, on on RT last night, and I, I I know hindsight's a great thing. Probably Shamrock Rovers Sligo Rovers would have been a better pick, but um, as you were pointing out in your tweet, Dan, venue selection is is crucial for these tele- televised games in order to to increase the League of Ireland awareness, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, something about the idle mind. Like I I would generally be at a game. I was I very rarely like for all of the debate at the moment about League of Ireland and TV. Like I'd be at a match every Friday, so I did actually have the TV experience last night, and you try and watch it and imagine sort of what's this like as a showcase. And uh, again, I sort of did make the point at halftime in the game that I didn't feel it looked great. Like there's like 15 games per year um, shown. It's obviously a contentious point about the TV deal at the moment. Mm-hmm. You know, if there's a game every week, I feel RT and I can understand that. Probably feel like they have to go around the grounds a bit. Um, and I can sort of respect that point of view. Um, and like you know, the draw to the dock is a loud derby. You know, it's a decent game. By all accounts, there was a great atmosphere there in the ground last night. A great win for Drada. Um, and I think you know people are sort of responding to a message I put out at half time in the game and suggesting it was sort of like uh, trying to take away from the win. I mean, at the, at the time it was a draw. You know, there was nothing really happening on the pitch. A bit of banter with the draw to chairman I see on Twitter. Well, yeah, some would call it banter. You know, Finn Harps got involved as well. He's, he's always a short odds on bet to get involved. But like, it's it's like to me. You know, you have to be ruthless sometimes with this, and there's obviously split opinions on it. Uh, I'm not saying you just like you you take clubs off the TV, um, but I think if you only have a limited number of games per year, I think the game selection, the venue selection, I think it has to be right to put it in the best possible light. I mean, that that ground, and there's, there's plenty of other grounds in the same boat, and, and of course you're going to offend the club that you mention at that given time, and there's a sensitivity about it. You understand it because it's their club, and they're like they're you know cash strapped for a reason. I mean, they've been trying to get out of that ground for ages. You know, the ground effectively owned by the FAI. There's complications there. Like they're trying to get to. Uh, they have been for like the last two decades almost been trying to get out of there. Um, and as a result, for me, I think you know should these should these venues be selected for live TV games? Is it part of the lobbying point where you're going to sort of local politicians and councillors and saying this we can't get our games on TV because people don't say it looks well enough? You know we somehow you have to like bring these debates on to some degree. You have to apply some kind of standard and criteria. Um, and I think that involves making unpopular decisions um, that maybe wouldn't be seen as very collegiate. And maybe some people are bound by sort of disbelief of, well, you know, you, you have to think of the, to give everyone, you know, give everyone their spin. I'm not sure that's the case when you have a TV deal that's like really limited and you have a small number of games to pick. You have a situation where like Rovers and Bowes last Friday, you know, it was a seven and a half thousand sellout in a modern stadium, looks good on TV. And that's not, you know, select on the TV rota. Uh, I don't think that's right personally myself. Um, and I just, I don't know, I was a bit underwhelmed by the whole thing. You're sort of watching it like there's a man at a match presentation there's, there isn't even someone from the sponsors there to present it. It's just the FEI press officer throwing it out there. And I'm thinking, 
as a TV spectacle, as a TV product. If I'm if I'm constantly banging on to people about we need to really support this league and get behind it, and you know there's a lot of good stuff in it, I wouldn't necessarily have been asking them to sit down last night and say look, there's alternative attractions, there's stuff in other channels um, that looks great, that's presented great, that that you know looks very um, it's easy to tap into. I spoke earlier about the A League and the MLS. I've watched a lot of games, a lot of football where the level of football isn't great, but the presentation makes it look better than it is. Uh, I just think it's something that we need to think about in this league. And I know um, it's not trying to pick out and have a go at people at particular clubs because they're all doing their best. But I do think there's a discussion that should be had around that. Mm. Only got about 90 seconds here, Johnny, but it, it brings up an interesting point. Like the, I know Stephen O'Donnell kind of spoke about the the uh, lack of pitch facilities and some certain grounds Sligo ground really, was, was unhappy yeah. Yeah. it brings up a wider conversation doesn't it Like it does yeah I, I don't really agree with Dan on this I, I see where he's come from but like the loud derby for me um, is a bit of a spectacle uh, Drogheda won the game and I watched it back today it wasn't that bad of a game the ground is a kit but so is Daily Mount so is Oriel like, so anyway like I, I, can, I can see where he's come from but I'd more like to talk about Derry City like um, <laughs> ironically they're playing in a, on a very good 4G surface at the moment as much as I don't like AstroTurf but like the quality of the goals last night will pass Catching Gravosti's goal for Dundalk was off Saint the charts. Pats, for St. Pats was off the charts. And like um, the start they've made to the season, they've gotten really late winners against Pats and Shamrock Rovers, which mm. could be vital. Despite the fact Patrick McElhinney has barely played, Matty Smith has barely played, and Michael Duffy's played like um, basically 20 minutes and he's now out for like three months or something. Um, so there's a real momentum building there. And interestingly enough, I'm looking at Bowes. Bowes have had a really poor start. Yeah. Their next two games, I think, are against Derry and Sligo. Um, so uh, like I'd say, Damien Duff has a lot to think about today so has Keith Long Shamrock Rovers haven't really gotten going yet and uh, Derry City for me I know Dan kind of tipped them up to start the season but they definitely do look I didn't like tip them up to win the league sort of, sort of as contenders they're definitely contenders Next best. Yeah. and um, I think they they play Bow soon which will be sold out in Daily Mount but uh, there's some real quality at the moment and Will Patching like what a footballer I have to mm-hmm. say he's he's just uh, turned it on for Derry City and um, yeah if you get a chance look at the goals on YouTube uh, came up uh, this morning and uh, they've made an unbelievable start obviously the base story is Galway United are 13 from 15 Division 1 but we'll get to well, that we're running out of time for that Johnny yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you had to get that in you had to get that in uh, yeah just look at the table Derry City 14 points uh, 6 games played well, look like, at Dundalk start like Dundalk have, yeah. won, won, have won one game one like, game you know, 5 and, draws and like I would have said going into I would have said last uh, Monday geez Dundalk are doing well they played really good against Rovers but then they lost to Drogheda who, that's know. just been reactive to one result though yeah that's but it's, it's not a, it's 8 points from 7 it's not a good start yeah so Derry 2 points clear of Sligo Sligo with the same amount of games played as them uh, St Pat's also with Sligo on 12 points but of course if a game extra played uh, than Derry and Sligo they've played 7 Shamrock Rovers then on 11 points a point behind St Pat's and 4th uh, and yeah as you mentioned some really good fixtures coming like, up April 1st is the, is the next round yeah it, like and, and international I, break now, I yeah. should yeah. just mention as well briefly talking to a Cork City fan he was just like purring about how well they're organised under Colin Healy who's not spoken about that much but they're absolutely flying it they've had two massive wins and the first division uh, is going to be a three horse race between Galway, Waterford and Cork and it's going to be really compelling as well Yeah, really good stuff Lads, Dan McDonald, Johnny Ward been an absolute pleasure thanks a lot for coming in as always on uh, OTB Football Saturday uh, We will be live until 7 o'clock uh, not the usual 5 o'clock this evening of course because of the Six Nations uh, Brent Pope and Fiona Hayes building up to Ireland, Scotland next